0: John, come up. I'd like to introduce you to uh, First Baptist Church. You've met uh, most of the folks before and mm-hmm. have been here and ministered before. Um, this is Dr. John Drain, and he's been uh, teaching at Fuller Seminary this past winter quarter as an adjunct professor. But we're not going to talk about that. No. no. Where, where were you born, John?
1: I was born in the northeast of England, uh, near to a city called Newcastle. So that's about halfway up on the right-hand side of the map of the U.K.,
0: can you go back to when you were maybe 10 or 12 years old, a boy, mm-hmm. growing up there in England, and uh, what did you do for fun? Um,
1: I rode my bicycle.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool, eh? yeah. I, kn- I knew there was something special about this man. <laughs>
1: I knew I had to keep in with you, Steve. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. So
0: you rode your bicycle. I did ride my you bicycle. you do any racing?
1: No, no. It was just uh, recreational riding and uh, going out and seeing things and yeah. hanging out with friends. And yeah. tell us
0: a bit about your family. I know you're married.
1: I am. I'm uh, married to Olive, who uh, those of you who come here often will have seen Olive before on Mother's Day. And... Uh, Yeah, we have three grown-up children. Uh, Our oldest son is a lawyer, and he's married to Fiona, and uh, they have two small children. Then our next son, Mark, is married to Laura. He's an architect. She's a creative arts consultant, and our daughter is Salithia, and she's uh, about to become fully qualified as a physician.
0: Wow! Well, congratulations. Mm -hmm. And uh, these days, you're no longer ten or twelve, I take it. But uh, what do you do for fun now?
1: What have do I done? Well, I have to admit, Steve, I've still got a bicycle, but it's like kind of uh, covered in cobwebs. And, you know, it's not. Uh, what do I do for fun? Well, for the last few years, I've been uh, remodelling an old house. If you can call that fun. Okay. It was certainly fun when I saw that it didn't affect my bank balance too much, anyway. Yeah. And um, what else? Yeah, walking. Actually, while I've been here, I like to rollerblade, actually, in California. But it's too cold to do that in Scotland or windy or something. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. John and Olive both are the kind of people, when you meet them, you just say, I wish I could spend more time uh, with them. And I was saying after our conversation Friday, I just wish we could have gone for coffee or had a little more time together. But uh, they are a delightful couple. John, we like to pretend. Can you pretend? Oh, sure. I've been doing it all my life. (laughs) I mean, this this isn't
1: me, you realize.
0: Well, pretend with me for a minute and pretend that uh, First Baptist Church is going to give you a platinum card. This is not a cheap gold card. It's platinum. There's no limit. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have six months where you don't really have any obligations. You have that card. You don't have to pay it back. And what would you do with that platinum card and six months free time?
1: Oh, I'd go on a world tour. World tour? I'd go on a world tour, yeah, yeah, to all the places I've not been to, which are... Um, many of them are tough places actually because I've never been to Africa I'd love to go to Africa love to go to India
0: uh-huh.
1: and um, yeah just see what's out there
0: well thank you very much and John's going to be preaching later to us and Olive will be leading us in a very rich and uh, wonderful communion service so welcome to First Baptist thanks Steve we look forward to the uh-huh. Lord speaking through you
1: I guess some of us later in the day will be tuning in the TV to watch what's going on in Hollywood later this afternoon and we'll be thinking, "Mm, if only I was one of those beautiful people or those successful people or those rich people, maybe I could really become somebody. And the good news of the gospel is, you are somebody. Okay. It wasn't quite the Academy Awards that Jesus was calling his disciples back for. But it was a kind of assessment of, hey, tell me where you've got to. You've been out now sharing the good news of the gospel with uh, other people. Let's debrief, let's hear your stories to encourage one another to move each other on in our spiritual journey. And of course, as the story was read to us from Mark chapter 6 earlier on, um, they didn't get that time and that chance and that opportunity because so many people wanted to crowd around Jesus and his disciples that uh, the idea and the possibility of getting time by themselves, well, it just wasn't going to work. And there are a few things in this story that I think are really relevant to our situation today. As you think of your 2006 theme of becoming a bridge, how can you become a bridge into this community, into the places where you live, network for the gospel with the people amongst whom you work and meet day by day? Why was it that people couldn't leave Jesus alone? Well, the simple fact is that actually, people always recognise spiritual reality when they see it. People recognise that in Jesus there was something different, there was something distinctive, there was something special. He was. Mm-hmm. I moved to the wrong place. There's obviously a very narrow band of uh, communication here. Okay. Um, I'll be tempted to walk up and down all day now to find out where this is. You should draw a circle around it or something. Yeah, okay. But people recognize spiritual reality when they see it and that's what attracted people to Jesus. They knew he was different. He was a gateway into God. He was opening their eyes to new possibilities, sharing new things, new insights that would be transformational. People in the 21st century are just the same. They recognize spiritual reality, especially when they encounter Jesus. I've lived in rural Scotland for the last um, six or seven years, and when we first moved into the house that we uh, now live in, in uh, the middle of Aberdeenshire, uh, it needed a fair amount of remodeling done. And so we sent for a few local builders to find out what could be done, what would be possible, how much it might cost, all those kinds of things. And the guy who eventually came, he was um, probably in his mid-60s, I would think, very experienced local builder, and uh, he came and he measured and he looked at things and he looked gloomy and he looked miserable because he knew he was going to tell me a lot of money was going to be involved in this. And then he came in with his measurements and his papers and his sketch pad, sat at our kitchen table and uh, for a cup of coffee while he broke the good or not so good news to us. And as he was sitting in our kitchen, he did what you always do when you go to somebody's house that you don't know. You look around, he looked around, and he saw various uh, pictures on the, on the wall. He saw a photograph of a clown. It was Olive, because as you all know, or many of you know, she is a clown. It was a picture of her dressed as she was here in this church on Mother's Day last uh, year. And he didn't know it was her at the time, though so he looks at this picture and he said uh, oh he said I've recently got into drama myself he said I've never done anything like this in the whole of my life but in my small village which was a very small collection of houses he said we decided this was 2000 what would we do to celebrate the change of the century the turn of the millennium and we looked at each other and we thought well how many are there yeah we could do a passion play we could reenact the events of the last week of Jesus' life through his death, resurrection, and so on. We do a passion play. So he said, actually, there were so few people in the village, it's a very small place, he said, we had to double up in the roles. There weren't even enough of us. He said, I started off being the Apostle Matthew, sitting at the table of the Last Supper, and then he said, I had to do a quick change and become one of the soldiers alongside uh, Pilate for the trial. It was the most spiritual experience of my life Of course, he said, I'm not religious, you understand. I don't go to church. But it was the most spiritual experience. What had happened with that man who was insistent he didn't go to church, but meeting Jesus and being alongside the story in the gospel, reflecting on what he understood and what he knew of Jesus, he found it spiritually attractive. There are huge numbers of people out there today who are still attracted by Jesus because people recognize spiritual reality when they see it. I was reading a website the other day and Bono of U2 fame has this to say on uh, in an interview on a website called BeliefNet.com. He says, Religion is what happens when the Spirit has left the temple. Religion is what happens when the Spirit has left the temple. That rang a lot of bells for me. I don't know whether it does for you. The second thing I notice in this story, though, is this, that effective mission starts with compassion. Jesus looked at the crowds, Mark tells us, and he had compassion upon them. Actually, that's a theme that comes over and over again in Mark's Gospel. Jesus sees people who are needy people. He sees people whose lives are in a mess. He sees people who need new direction who need the empowerment of the Spirit, who need to be challenged to change in big ways. And his starting point is that he has compassion on them. I think maybe in building bridges and becoming a bridge, we need not only to focus on Jesus, but maybe to relearn again what it means to have compassion on those who are lost, the kind of compassion that Jesus had. Just during the week, I was at a lunch where Michael Flaherty, who was the president of Walden Media, who made that movie on Narnia, was speaking at it. And one of the things he said impressed me, a lot of the things he said impressed me very much, but this one thing in particular. He said, so often, when Christians ask me about movies, he said, they ask me, what's not in it? Is there no sex, no violence, no fun? That's what Christians ask he said, actually, he as a movie director wants to ask, is there grace, is there redemption, is there forgiveness, is there compassion in it? And Maybe I think just in the last few years, we Christians have become too lacking in compassion. We look out on our world, we look at other people in the culture, and we are quick to uh, condemn people. Whereas Jesus... Well, actually, Jesus knew that people whose lives are in a mess, they know they're in a mess. They don't need me to tell them. They don't need me to rub their noses in the dirt in which they live day by day. They know their families are fragmented. They know their relationships don't work. If the gospel is to be good news, it starts with compassion. As we say to people, Hey, how can we breathe through the Spirit of God redemption, grace, forgiveness? How can we bring healing into broken situations? How can we bind up those who are wounded? How can we get our lives back on track again to find that redemption which Jesus came to bring? Compassion is where effective mission starts. And building bridges starts with compassion, I believe, in the 21st century. But then, of course, this is a really interesting story because um, eventually the mission and the connection and the bridge building comes out of the most unlikely items a very little thing can go a very long way. Jesus says, well, you know, here's all these people. We've got to do something. Yeah, they need fed. And the disciples say, oh, yeah, well, um, we'd better go out and buy something then, hadn't we? Or somebody had. Have you ever been in church and mission has been taught to have like that? We need to engage in mission with our culture. Where can we buy the best program? Will it come from Willow Creek? Or will it be that uh, purpose-driven stuff? Or will it be the Alpha Course? Or will it be, hey, this is a very important lesson. Jesus' disciples said, where will we buy the stuff? And Jesus said, well, look at what you've already got. You've actually got the stuff. You don't need a program. You don't need to look beyond yourselves. You yourselves are supposed to be my disciples. How are you going to address this? And so as they began to look, They discovered the loaves and the fishes, the small things, the trivialities, the things that they wouldn't otherwise have noticed. And um, I think there's something very important in here. Mission isn't just something somebody else does for us. It's not a package we buy. It's not a program. This is really good news for church treasurers, you know. It's not going to cost you a lot of money. Because actually, Scripture says right throughout, and that song that was sung to us while the offering was being taken, emphasized it, that actually God works with what we have to hand. When you watch the Oscar ceremonies later today, don't think, how might I get one of those golden statues? You are the golden statue. You are a person made in the image of God. It's on the very first page of the Bible. Women and men together, made in God's image. You are very special. You are very important. You are of great value to God. We are all of importance. And according to John's Gospel, it was a small boy who produced the goods. There was a nobody. God can use the most ordinary of everyday circumstances in the most unexpected of ways. I read a church bulletin, a church monthly newsletter was sent to me a few months ago. And it was a story the church was uh, saying they'd had a mission. Uh, they'd had an event trying to reach out to young people in this particular town. And uh, they'd had a tough time all week. And they'd been holding this event in rented premises. And they got to the end of the week, the last night. And because the property didn't belong to them, they had to leave the keys inside when they locked the door. When they came out having locked the door behind them, they were accosted by a bunch of youths who'd been hanging about all week outside but had never made any communication with them. And on this occasion, the youths asked them, tell us what you're up to. Tell us about the gospel. What is it? Why are you doing this in our community? And the church newsletter told a sad, sad story. It said, we realised that we'd locked all our tracts and our Bibles and our evangelistic literature in the building so we had nothing to say to the youths who asked us about our faith. What a strange way of doing mission. When actually First Peter reminds us, be ready to give an account of the hope that's within you. Not be ready to preach a sermon about it. Not be ready to write a book about it. Not be ready to give a lecture. Be ready to give an account of the hope that's within you. Tell people, Share with people unself-consciously, in an ordinary sort of way, maybe with the equivalent of bread and fish, what it means for you to be a Christian, why it's worth following Jesus at this point in life. An Indian theologian once described mission and evangelism in this to these terms. He wrote, "It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's who we are as we journey through life. We're all beggars who depend on God's generosity. And there are other people like ourselves who have the same struggles, the same challenges, the same opportunities, the same potential if we will share the hope that's within us. And that's the final thing that um, actually God is generous. I mean there was stuff left over. They started off and there was nothing to start with and then by the time they've done... There's enough left over to feed another multitude, by the sounds of things. There was certainly enough of God's grace and love to go around. So many Christians I meet seem to struggle with God's generosity. But this is actually the heart of the gospel. God is good. God loves you. You're a person made in God's image. I don't know what burdens you're bringing here today to church, you know, if there are 200 people here, there'll be 200 versions of what it means to be human. There'll be 200 different journeys we've been on through this week. Some of you will be ready to celebrate and to be joyful because life's been really, really good to you this week. Hey, God is generous. God enjoys feasts. That's what this story is all about. Maybe some of you have had a tough time struggling with all kinds of personal things or family things or work issues. You need just a space to be quiet in church this morning and to reflect on, where do I go next? God's generous. God's loving. God's full of grace. God holds out the possibility of redemption, of new life, of change, of being empowered. No matter how old or young we are, our lives are full of possibilities. God always looks to the future, who you can be, who I can be, Who who our church can be. I think it's easy, especially as we look at our churches and reflect on the challenges of mission, as we look around this building and imagine that uh, presumably one day it was filled, say, Well, what's going on in the church? So easy to go back to the past and ask, Who's to blame? when actually God always looks to the future and says, Who can you yet become? Where can we go starting together today? in building that bridge. Ask what God might yet do with what you now have. Who could have imagined that loaves and fishes could be a gateway to the transcendent? Who could have imagined that something so simple could have become a picture of mission, of um, discipleship, of God's grace poured out in our midst? God is full of love. God's love overshadows and Pause out for all of us today you are special the golden statue isn't in Hollywood there are 200 of them in this building today some of us need to be polished up a bit to shine brightly, some of us need to have a bit more confidence to show ourselves to the world but hey, those statues don't know how to talk they're mute they're dumb, they're heavy we are animated with the Spirit of God and God invites us to reflect on who we can become, to be impressed once again with the real spirituality that is in Jesus, to point people to Jesus as John the Baptist did, to recognize who we might become and to follow faithfully in discipleship. Of course, bread, fish, all those kind of homely things play an important part of, not just in the Word of God from the Gospel, but in the whole of church life. And we're going to move on now. Olive's going to come and uh, take us forward in our reflection on how ordinary things, ordinary lives, ordinary people can be transformed to be building bridges for God that will also renew and empower ourselves as we are transformed through the Spirit of God.
2: I was just saying that uh, John, in his gospel, he records the same story and uh, he adds a few other little details in because he points out that it was a child who actually provided his lunch and said, here's my fish and my, my bread, this fish sandwich, which in turn Jesus transformed. And then very later, very soon in the gospel, Jesus goes on to say, actually, I'm the real bread. I'm the real life. If you come to me, I can sustain and I can nourish you. I have what you need. And it was in that last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples that he took the really simple, ordinary things that are on every family's table, bread and wine, and he infused them with a new and significant meaning that would be powerful right down through the generations. And it's today that we're invited to join Christ at this family meal. Welcome to this holy table. Welcome to you who are Christ's body, Christ's work in the world. Welcome to you whose baptism makes you salt of the earth and light of the world. Rejoice and be glad. Praise God. Who gives us forgiveness and hope? Let's give thanks to God. It is the joy of our salvation, God of the universe, to give you thanks through Jesus Christ. You said, Let there be light, and there was light. Your light shines on in our darkness. You have created us to hear your word to do your will and to be fulfilled in your love. It's right to thank you. You sent your Son to be for us the way we need to follow and the truth we need to know. You sent your Son to give his life to release us from sin. His cross has taken our guilt away. You sent your Holy Spirit to strengthen and to guide, to warn and to revive your church. Therefore, with all your witnesses who surround us on every side, countless as heaven's stars, we praise you for our creation and our calling with loving and with joyful hearts. Holy God, holy and most merciful, holy and just, glory and goodness come from you. Glory to you, most high and gracious God. God of the past and present, we, your people, remember your Son. We thank you for his cross and rising again. We take courage from his ascension. We look for his coming in glory. And in him, we give ourselves to you. Amen. It was at that meal that Jesus shared with his disciples that he did what we are going to do. And the Apostle Paul writes and reminds the Christians in Corinth. He says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. Said, This is my body which is given for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He also goes on to say, take a look into yourself and just reflect. And we're going to create an opportunity for us to do that this morning, that as we come and share bread and wine, you've got something in your bulletin that was maybe such an ordinary bit of paper, you thought, oh, somebody's left something here they shouldn't have. There's pencils around as well. You might want to write down what you want to say to God this morning. It might be something of, I'm struggling with this, will you help me? And you can name it. Or you might just want to give thanks. And there's a little shredder here on the table, on the communion table at the front, that you can come and shred it afterwards. Because even the new administrator is not going to be able to come and piece all these bits together. This is between you and God. You can take an opportunity to do this if you would like. But there are some other very ordinary things on this table over to my left. The sort of things you'd find in your home. Like there's some scales. Which might, if we infuse them with meaning, talk of justice and the choices we make in our lives. There's um, some baby's clothes that maybe suggest vulnerability there's um, food there's oil there's bandages maybe we need healing in our spirits or in our bodies there's, um, there's books maybe we need to apply ourselves there's a, a calendar there's a file of there's money there's um, a, a timer all the ordinary kind of things that you find in any home What you can do, if you like, is come and have a look and take one of these little tea lights and light it as a conversation between you and God that during this period of Lent, as we travel towards the cross and ultimately to the resurrection, we want God to be transforming not only our creeds but our lifestyles. And so I'm going to invite the service to come and take the bread. And they will be at four little places Two at this side and two at the other. And they will serve you with bread and wine. You can come in whatever order you want. You can come and receive God's grace and then go and light the candle. Or you can do it the other way around. And equally, if you're in your seat and it's not easy for you to move, then please get someone else to bring the shredder to you or to bring a night light. But come, take this opportunity to move.